Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. He's Rory Boylan, and Rory, we got a lot <laughs> to get to today. A lot. Yes. Abby Mastraco of NorthJersey.com, and the record is going to swing by here in studio, and we are going to pick her brain about what's going on with the Devils. Did they make the right move getting rid mm-hmm. of Ray Shero, or have they doubled down on failure here by uh, changing in midstream? Zach Cassian, Matthew Kachuk, lots going on there. Morgan Riley, a beat-up Leafs blue line, and the Washington Capitals have inked a cornerstone to a long-term extension, and we're going to do a little math on that thing, see what makes sense, and see what the grand plan may be as it pertains to another big-time capital, one Mr. Ovechkin, Mm -hmm. and how, as he keeps climbing up the ranks here, uh, the timing could work for that gold chase you love talking about. Yep. And I think more and more of the world's going to be talking about. But let's start with the fallout from the the Battle of Alberta. It's back, baby. What did you think on Saturday as those two were going back and forth? And what do you make of the two-game suspension handed out to Zach Cassian, who's already on record saying, I can't wait to see this guy again, more or less. And he will in his first game back. That's the most beautiful thing about this suspension is that the first game back is the January 29th game against Calgary. And then they'll play each other again February 1st, one at home, one on the road. So as I was watching that game, just my thought was, oh my God, the Battle of Alberta is back in a big way. Like these teams are now both contending for playoff spots and right in the in the heat. Like it, there's still a possibility neither of them make it. It's yeah. all so tight that you're. this is playoff hockey. Let me just jump in and say that Pacific Division, I was doing weekend takeaways, two points on Monday separated first from fifth, so yep. it's a complete jump ball. Yeah, and you know you're hoping that a they both get into the playoffs, and b that it lines up for a playoff series. Oh my God, if we could get an Edmonton Calgary playoff series, that would be just incredible. I wasn't too surprised at the suspension for Cassian. I mean, you grab a guy and you start wailing yeah. on him. What do you expect, right? I, I was surprised that there was nothing for Kachuk though, because I thought that was the kind of hit that the league was trying to do away with the Rafi Torres targeting, targeting around the net. Around, the guy's defenseless. He's dealing with another defender, obviously. Mark Spector wrote a great column on it, and he got some insight from some former players. And they all kind of made the same point, alluded to it anyway, that if you're making that kind of a hit, you're not doing it for a hockey play. You're doing it for one reason, and that's to devastate the guy. And Kachuk did it more than once in that game. So I thought on one of them especially, he picked the head. He took three or more strides and didn't let up before going down. The guy's defenseless. I mean, to me, I would have, wouldn't have been surprised if both of them walked out of that with a two-game suspension. But I think it's in the fans' interest, the league interest, it's in everybody's interest to have them both on the ice for when they play again. And it worked out beautifully that two-game kind of sends a message. Kind of not really, though, because Cassian's already said, I'm coming for you, basically. <laughs> message not received. So it really sets the table nice for that first game coming out of uh, the All-Star break. All right. Maple Leafs. Jake Muzzin already out with a broken foot. Sounds like he could be coming back in the somewhat near future. Skating soon, so we'll see. Maybe a little bit ahead of time, uh, ahead of schedule, I'm sorry, but um, they they really need him. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> now Morgan Riley out maybe up to eight weeks also yep. with a broken foot. Uh, we know Rasmus Sandin is now going to really yep. get a chance to shine. What do you make, I guess, first of all, of the idea that because of the contract uncertainty that the Leafs really need to make hay this year because this blue line could really look like something else next year? 
here's the thing. Like with Muzzin back soonish, Riley, it's anticipated he'll be back before the playoffs. Like I don't think you need to go out and and worry too much. I still don't think this is as a, as a team that's going to miss the playoffs it's, or anything like you, the, the injury that you're worried about is Freddie Anderson. That basically derails your entire season, especially if it comes while Riley is out. But I don't think you need to go out and make a massive deal to bring back a top pair guy to get you through. I think you're more looking to nibble around the edges. I think you do need to do something. A, because you're very, very thin. Like you're looking at Martin Marinson on a top pair. Timothy Lilligren is probably going to get a look here. But also B, because you want to go into the playoffs with depth on the blue line. I mean, how many times have we seen injuries from block shots, hits, whatever, through the playoffs, teams needing a seventh, an eighth, maybe even a ninth defenseman to to look to, to fill in for when injuries inevitably hit. So I think that's what the Leafs really need to kind of look at. And, and when you're talking about that, you're looking at, you know, a Brendan Dillon type guy. Is there somebody like that who, when everybody's healthy, really he's a third pair guy? Maybe he's a number seven defenseman in the playoffs, something like that. But in the meantime, is going to fill probably a second pair for you, maybe a third. Somebody who's just going to fill minutes right now while you need them, because I don't think it's ideal for this team to go on in the future without adding some level of of veteran experience to that back end right now. Their defense has been sliding a little bit under Sheldon Keith. They've lost three games in a row here as we record uh, before the New Jersey game. And they've game. won games like the last game before Christmas against Carolina, where yeah. it's just an absolute gong show out there. Yeah, and even Keith said after their latest loss that it was a, it was a step back defensively for them. So we knew that when Keith came in here, they were going to be looking a little bit more offense, playing to this team's strengths. But still, still, the reality is you have to be good on the defensive end of the puck in the playoffs to have any hope of success there. So they need to get back on track. And I think, I think just adding a little piece like that on the blue line could go a long way. They're not out of the woods yet, playoff-wise. No, they're not. I, mean, I just I can't Florida is it. one point back with a game in hand. You're right. It seems hard to believe with the surge we've seen, at least yeah. in terms of this wins and losses. This is the Leafs. Like they, they're, they are where they are. Because of the slow start. Yeah. And as I've said, that's the worst we've seen of this team, I think. So even with these injuries. So it looks precarious right now. I think it, they're more solidly in there than it seems right now in the standings page, if you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, though Florida has to be feeling pretty Florida, good about that. Uh, they're definitely a dangerous team uh, <laughs> to look out for. Well, it's the truth, right? Like their defense has been terrible this year. Yeah. Bobrovsky has been a massive disappointment. Well, He's out the rest of this week, it sounds like, and won't be back until after All-Star. But kind of like Toronto, like they have weapons and they look really good against the Leafs in that game too. Like you don't really know what you're going to get from the Florida Panthers. They could go on, there was, was it two years ago where they went on a wicked tear in the second half of the season and missed the playoffs by a point or two. But over the second half of the year, we're the second best team in the entire league. They are very capable of going on a run like that. They didn't have a Sergei Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky could suddenly find himself. Well, that's right? just so, it. They need one guy yeah, to really exactly. click into place. All right. One team we've seen click into place in the recent past, the 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs, most notably the Washington Capitals, a team firmly in the cup window, another cup window, I guess you would say. Nicholas Backstrom signed an extension worth 9-2, big number, Huge. Five years kicks in at the start of next year. What do you make of that number for a guy who's been, I mean, an absolute huge part of this team, obviously going way back beyond the cup, yeah. the rise of this team from the ashes, along with Alex Ovechkin, obviously the the running mate of Ovi for many years before they wound up 
playing on different lines. A really good defensive player, really smart player, but big number. Big number, and he didn't have an agent. He negotiated that himself. So Why win. give 3% away? Exactly. It is a big number, and ideally you don't want to be paying a guy who's going on to age 33 $9.2 million on a four-year extension, but I think you're going to need to look past that in this case because, like you said, they're in a Stanley Cup window right now, yeah. going for another one. This season, and they want to push this. They, they need to push this as far as they can. And so like Pittsburgh, like that means keeping Malkin and Crosby. That means keeping Ovechkin and Baxter, all these guys together as long as you can and squeeze out of it whatever you possibly can the get. The reality is for teams as good as Washington and those other teams you mentioned, it's all well and good on paper to say these contracts, this guy isn't going to be worth this at age yep. 36, but it's really hard to turn your back on guys who are 30, 31, 32, yes. still really, really good yeah. players, and just pivot away and say, man, we're just going to lose them for nothing. And not to mention a good friend of Ovechkin's, yeah. and he's got his own contract coming up in a year or two that you're going to have Something to Something we really have and never so, had to talk about, but because yeah, he was on such a long 13 years, yeah. So I would say, like, if you're looking at this 9.2 and saying, oh, I don't know about that contract, this guy's 33, my question would be, What's the alternative? Like, you're not trading Nicholas Backstrom this season as you're going for a cup. You're not going to let him walk to free agency. You're not going to risk making him upset and then walking him to free agency. This is the price of business in this situation. So if it was 9.2 to get it done and it helps keep Ovechkin around, then that's a win for the Capitals. Someone clip this and put it on YouTube because the people <laughs> need to hear this conversation before they lose their minds. Oh, it's not going to be worth it at 36 years old. Who cares? Oh, Deal God. with Crossette Ridge when you get to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out with Mr. Ovechkin. I think we will circle back to that okay. in the second block here because he is climbing the ranks as noted past Timu Solani. He's now in the sole possession of 11th. So when we come back... Why don't we try and um, connect some dots here a little bit on tape to tape and see how things might work out for the Capitals and Ovechkin and contracts. And don't forget, Abby Mastrako coming up. She's going to tell us about everything going on from a crazy week in Devil's Land. All of that up next on Tape to Tape. And, And Ovechkin on the fly down the wing. Alex Ovechkin mauled along the board. Straightening him up with Dezingle. A give and go for Ovechkin, he scores! Alex Ovechkin driving to the front of the goal. Across to Ovechkin, a drive, he scores! Alex Ovechkin gets his second of the game, second of a period, 686 of his career. Way to go, Ovi. Moving up the charts in the all-time goal-scoring list. Hi Alex, it's a table sermon here, and congrats for passing me on the all-time goal scoring list. You're gonna score a lot of more goals, so keep it going and keep having fun. That's the key. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. If you're listening to this podcast, I bet there's a real good chance you're into fantasy hockey. Don't forget to sign up for the fantasy sports, the Sportsnet Fantasy Pool, presented by Ram. Just go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. There's cash prizes totaling 50 grand. And the grand prize is a 2020 1500 Ram Sport. Rory, if you've had Alex Ovechkin in your pool the past, <laughs> oh, I don't know, whatever, 15 years basically, you've probably been doing all right, at least in terms of goals, shots, and hits. So let's do some math. The Nicholas. Yeah. <laughs> so the Backstrom extension is five years kicking in next year. 
OV has one year left on his deal. Yep. So he's now 208 goals behind Gretzky. He sounds increasingly like he wants to take a run at it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering, and you're kind of wondering, does he maybe sign a four-year extension that would basically take him to age 40 and give him five years after this to chase that record and that deal would end at the same time the Backstrom deal does. Yes. Maybe they all just walk away at well, that point. It would, so if he signs a five-year extension, which would kick in for the 2021-22 season, his contract would expire at the same time as Backstrom's, Evgeny Kuznetsov's, and TJ Oshie's. So that's basically your core of four. Jacob Rand is making a case to move up, but... Not know, to be lost in all this is probably that they're Maybe Holtby can't come back. We can save that I, for another pod. I but kinda, we should. I yeah. don't think he's back. Yeah. Yes, and that's going to free up some money too. Some of it's going to go to Verana, some of the other younger guys coming up, but nothing big, big, big like this for now. That could be his motivation. Now, when I've been doing my math for what Ovechkin would have to average to pass Gretzky in the last year or two, it's been assuming that he plays through his age 40 season. So if he does sign that five-year extension we're talking about, that takes him through his age 39 season. So the thinking right now, for me anyways, goes he could do that, leave the age 39 season, see where the Capitals are at, see where he's at. Is he feeling healthy? Does he have a chance to break Wayne Gretzky's record? Does he want to stay in Washington to do it? I I would think that they would pay him whatever to keep him there to to do it. And kind of reassess the landscape at age 39 and say, what am I going to do? Do I have to sign a one-year contract to get this done? Break Gretzky's record. I've got my cup. Maybe he's got another one or two by then. Who knows? And he can kind of walk into the sunset as the most successful sniper to ever play the game. That seems like it might be a likely place. I wonder what his next contract's going to be. Because, I mean, it's going to be a 35-plus contract. So there's no getting out of that if something bad happens. I don't think that's too much of a worry anyways. Backstrom's at 9.2. Ovechkin right now is already at 9.5. So I'm assuming, especially with a rising cap, that's going to go up over 10. I mean, does he get into Connor McDavid territory? Does he become the highest paid player in the NHL? He's still, right now, third in the NHL in goals despite his age. He's still the premier sniper in the league, right? So it's not like he's going to be taking a cut. And the Capitals would have to deal with that cap hit over a four-year span. So there's a lot of factors in here. But I think at the crux of it, it's everybody, including the Capitals, just want to see this guy break Wayne Gretzky's record in yeah, their uniform. Everyone, everyone would love to see that, obviously, for yeah. sure, in their uniform. Yes, um, our podcast overseer, Mr. John Grigg, uh, was in here before we got rolling and said... It looks like when Ovi gets to 700, which he's 14 away, he he will have gone from 600 to 700 faster than anyone else. He's picking it's, up steam. He's picking up steam. So, and, and in the calculations I've done, assuming through age 40, he had to average roughly 33 goals a season right through his age 40 season. And since then, he's had a 51-goal season, so that's gone down a little bit. He's got 28 and 47 games right now. It's going to bump it down. He's basically on pace for 50 this year. How many times has he scored less than that? Yeah. In his career, once. You know, you look at it and you're like, it's, it's, it's just health. As long as he can stay healthy, he's always going to be able to whack in that one-timer from the top of the circle yeah. in the OV zone on the power play. So you've got that base. It seems, assuming health, that it's just more unlikely that he won't pass Kreski's record at this point. I mean, doesn't it? Like, it's so, crazy. So you heard Timo Solani on the intro to this block. That's who he just passed. Ovechkin needs five goals to leapfrog Mario Lemieux for number 10 all-time 
So we could be back talking about this uh, next week. And we always have to note, he missed his rookie season to the lockout, and he missed half of a year in 2012-13 to another lockout. So where could he be? With a full career behind him. Okay, what are we missing about what's going on in New Jersey? Abby Mastrocco is going to tell us. Stick around. Coming up right here on Tape to Tape. The team announcing in a statement just about an hour ago, the Devils and Ray Shiro have agreed to part ways effective immediately. Josh Harris and Tom Fitzgerald, now the interim general manager of this club, address the media. Here are their thoughts and a little bit more insight into this decision. Devils have decided to move in a different direction from Ray Shiro. Ray was a really talented uh, NHL executive and we wish him incredibly well in the future. He did some great things for our organization, but the reality is we're not where we want to be. Uh, and we thought it was the right thing to do to move in a different direction. Hey, welcome back. It is time now for our overtime segment. Brought to you by Subway No Joke. Subway now delivers. Joining us today in studio. Always great to have someone in studio. It's Abby Mastraco. She covers the New Jersey Devils for the record in USA, USA Today. Easy for me to say. <laughs> Sports. Abby, things not going well for me there. Things yeah. not going well for the Devils this year. We're going to cover it all. all right. We're going to get to Ray Shiro. We want to hear a little behind the scenes on Hines and Hall. But let me just start here. I mean, you go back barely six months ago. Ray Shiro was kind of the toast of the NHL draft, yeah. right? I mean, won the offseason. Drafting first overall. Obviously, some luck involved there. But getting... P.K. Subban in a trade that was universally hailed as a win. Even, you know, signing Wayne Simmons to a show-me contract, it felt like they were kind of gearing up in this big year where Hall was headed to UFA Hood. There was a lot of good vibes around this team. Take us through how things have unraveled. (laughs) A lot of high hopes. I mean, yeah, Ray won the offseason. There was the Nikita Gusev move in there, too, and then... The season started and nobody was gelling the way that they had anticipated. It took Gusev a while to adjust to North American hockey. And then you had two other rookies. And Gusev was, he's an NHL rookie, not technically a rookie, but you had two other rookies in Jack Hughes and Jesper Boquist. And that was a lot of inexperience in the lineup. And they looked like they were hesitant and almost scared to play with elite scared to play with the puck sometimes really it felt like they were more comfortable in in the defensive zone and it just one thing led to another they lost their first six games they they kept trying and failing and Tom Fitzgerald was added to the bench and then he left the bench and now he's the now he's the general manager <laughs> yeah. so he's been all over the place yeah um they got some things sort of stabilized some line combinations stabilized and then uh John was fired Taylor was traded Ray was fired. <laughs> so out of those three things, I think we sniffed two of them coming. Were you shocked that Ray Shiro, that the axe fell now? Yes. Here's why I think they didn't maybe didn't do it when they fired John. Maybe they had their minds made up and said, we're just going to fire Ray at the end of the season. This is not going how we want. We've given him five seasons and there's only one playoff win to show for it. And now the best player is gone. Taylor's gone. Maybe they decided when nothing happened with Taylor Hall and they were forced to trade him that, that Ray was gone at that point, but they needed him to see out that trade. 
So then they wait a little bit longer or wait until after the holidays, the dust kind of settles, and then now's a good time to pull the trigger for them. I, yes, I was very surprised at the timing. There either had to be some sort of like incident, like argument or breakdown, some sort of fundamental difference. Some conversation about vision, I would think, right? That went wrong. And maybe that's why it was like, okay, we're done. Now you're out. And that's why it happened so suddenly. Or they just needed him to see out the hall trade. Why would they need to for him to see out that hall trade? Because he's, so he's fired approximately a month after that deal yeah. is made. And it's the big trade chip that everybody's waiting for. And the deadline's not until February 24th. And I get wanting to get out ahead of that. So you're not waiting to the last minute to just get what you can. But he was the guy. So if there is a disconnect, I also can't imagine that just came out of nowhere. That would have had to have been developing for some time. So I guess why would they leave it in Shiro's hands to trade the biggest trade piece that's out there? Uh, I think because conversations had already been ongoing. It became clear... They had their Western Canada trip at the beginning of, when was it? It was in November, maybe not the beginning of November, but it was before Thanksgiving. And when I talked to Ray, he had met with Darren Ferris in Calgary. And I said, was it, would you characterize the talk you had, the lunch you had as positive? And he said, I can say that we positively met. I said, can you say anything else about this meeting? And he said, we had pizza and I paid. (laughs) What a gentleman. Oh yeah, right. That right there tells you nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. Nothing's getting done. And it was right after that when we started to hear, okay, Colorado has interest. Arizona has interest. Other two, Edmonton has interest. It was right after that meeting in November. So conversations were already ongoing. So maybe that's that's why they just wanted to let Ray finish out that one thing. But now Tom Fitzgerald is the one who gets to deal with the trade deadline and decide whether or not they're making Kyle Palmieri available, whether or not they're going to try and offer a contract to Sammy Vatanen to lock him up. I'm curious to see how Tom Fitzgerald handles this because he has been interviewed for GM jobs before. He's been sort of a an assistant GM on the rise. He interviewed with Minnesota a couple years ago and the Devils have been worried about losing him. So it, it, this is his chance to show he can make a big impact. I'm curious for your thoughts on, I guess, what comes next. Because because of the high hopes yeah. that were on this team and how they fell flat. I mean, it wasn't that long ago they were in the playoffs. But I think we can all recognize they were still building towards better days. It wasn't a shock, really, yeah. when they took a step they, they back. They maybe overachieved that year. Exactly. But when you add Subban and you have Hall... And you've got Jack Hughes out of the draft. Gusev comes in. I mean, you seem to have this hope, and now it's dashed, and you're you're clearly rebuilding still. So where are they? Are they going to just sell off everything? Simmons would be another one, too, that they would maybe explore. Or are they still trying to keep some of these guys with the hopes that next year, really, we're going to be back in, in the playoff race again? I think that they're hoping to retool quite quickly. Uh, Simmons, I, I can see them probably getting some value for at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And uh, Palmieri still has a year on his contract. So if they, I think if they, if they trade him this year, then that signals we're really tearing down and we're still rebuilding. But the other night, Josh Harris, the, one of the owners said they want to be competitive again quickly. And he sees the trade deadline as an opportunity to mm-hmm. possibly grab some pieces for the near future. I think they need to try and keep Sammy Vatanen for sure mm-hmm. in terms of like some smaller things for what comes next. I, they need to keep Sammy Vatanen, uh, try and lock him up with an extension and they need help on the blue line big time. PK was not enough. He's not the same player that he was a few years ago and yeah, they were thin before they got him too. They need to decide what they're going to do with Elaine Nazardin. Are they going to keep him around after the season or are they going to launch a full scale 
coaching search and who's going to lead that? Is it going to be a new GM? What are they? What comes first, the GM or the coach? Mm-hmm. If they want to be competitive again next year, maybe there's something to be said for the continuity of keeping Nazardine around because they're playing pretty well under him. If yeah. they get a few more pieces, the way that they're skating and the way that they're uh, the defense has been good and bad, but the last few games it's we've seen some good adjustments made. They've got to figure out an identity. They're starting to form right. one under Nazardine. So do they want to erase that and start over again? Or do they want to keep this going and see if they can improve under him? And you would risk everything not gelling again if you kind of yeah. mix it all up again, right? Exactly. And they've got a better record than Arizona since their Taylor Hall trade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the timing of the Shiro dismissal, surprising, as you said, would you say the fact he was let go at all was surprising as well, given a lot of the people we've talked about, Palmieri, Vatnin, were nice pickups by him. Obviously, the Taylor Hall trade itself was a huge win for him. I know the knock is kind of that the draft record after the first round is not great, but, I mean, you know, you're on the beat talking to people who cover this team very closely. was the sense that maybe it wasn't happening as quickly as some like, but that Shiro, who inherited a team that was just bereft of talent or prospects was kind of getting this thing pointed in the right direction. Well, it seemed like it was pointed in the direct right direction, but when you're firing your head coach and your best and trading your best player, what direction are you going in? Yeah. Just seems like this year they've been in standstill. The last two years, really, it's been a holding pattern. They they never moved forward after the playoffs. And you know what? Last year there were injuries. Taylor Hall was hurt for most of the season, but it just felt like they were in this holding pattern, and they were either going to go backwards or just not what you want when you've got guys, when you've got a pretty good young core in place with guys like Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes, you want to make sure you're not going backwards and creating bad habits for the young guys. So what are you going to do? Ray's had five years and he did, there was a lot of roster turnover and he did do a lot of good things, but they're not really developing talent. I mean, even some of their first round picks like Michael McLeod has been okay in the NHL, but there's a reason he's not in the NHL consistently. They've Got to figure out the goalie situation. Sure, they developed Mackenzie Blackwood, but I believe uh, they haven't really developed anybody else since then. And Jill Sen might end up being sort of a nice backup piece, but they haven't really developed a ton of talent. They've been overhauling their system, and it's like he's had five years, and some of the overhauls have been made. Are we seeing the results of that? I don't think it's super shocking that Ray was let go because five years is a good amount of time to see if you can get this thing running again. And one playoff win was all they have to show for it, and this year has been such a disaster, yeah. to say the least. Sometimes it just gets so gruesome, the change has to happen. You, you have no choice sometimes. If, I mean, hockey ops maybe needed a new voice. If the, if the team on the ice needed a new voice, maybe you could say sure. the same thing for the hockey operations department, too. I, I'm wondering, because I'm hearing you're talking about them not gelling, and all these good things that Shiro did do, kind of putting this, and at least moving them in the right direction. So, I mean... Do you think he he kind of earned this, for lack of a better term, earned this firing right now, given that they seem to have turned a corner a little bit under Alain Nezreddin? Should he have maybe gotten a little bit more of a rope with this new coach before making this decision to move on to another GM? Possibly. I, that's why the, I think the timing is so strange, because this was, you know, it's Ray's guy who mm-hmm. he, he promoted. Naz has been with Ray since I mean he got his start coaching with um, Scranton Wilkesbury when Ray was the general manager of, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He gave Naz and John Hines his shot and Tom Fitzgerald for that matter. All of Ray's people are still in right. place. 
So why is Ray not in place right now? Why not wait until the end of the season to clean house completely and get all of Ray's guys out of there? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think maybe something had to happen. There was some sort of, I don't know, philosophical differences or some sort of difference, like you said, in vision that and something maybe came to a head. We didn't get much information under that press conference. I mean, even last night in my hotel bar, I ran into a couple scouts and they said, what's going on in New Jersey? I said, I was just going to ask you guys if you knew anything. Uh, it, nobody seems to know what is going on and, and the thought process behind this because the only answer we got from Josh Harris was, you know, there's no good time to fire somebody. And his quote was, we're not getting the job done. Okay, we got to give Devils fans something to cling to here. <laughs> um, Nico Heischer quietly become a really dependable two-way guy. I kind of wonder if Shiro's parting gift to this team will be the extension that he sure signed and how that might yeah. look very nice. It's going to be a bargain in a few years. Um, Jack Hughes. I mean, I know things haven't gone exactly, obviously, as people had hoped uh, in his first year. I'm sure his head spinning his family close to the Shiro yeah. family. You know, there's a little bit of a shift there. But what have you seen from Hughes, the first overall pick? And do you still feel like with specifically those two in place? I mean, for as much as it feels like they're in ruins right now. When, you, when you're talking about building in, in the NHL, building down the middle, those two guys could really be at the center of something for a long time to come. Yeah, exactly. And, and Nico is at the point where he's finally starting to take over a game. And I think it may, may be a slow process, but that's what you want from your top-line center, a, a first overall pick. He's got to be able, able to take over a game in crunch time and – He's doing that almost on a nightly basis right now. It might not have come quick, but it sure came. Mm -hmm. And Jack is, he's learning, and you can tell he's made a lot of adjustments. And as much as he's an 18-year-old who tries to sort of talk the talk and walk the walk and says, you know, I'm okay, I get this, you can tell when he's made adjustments. He can't always split three NHL defenders, and like he could in the USHL or with Team USA, and He's not trying to do those things anymore. He's making a lot more smart decisions. I think he's had a lot of different line mates. Putting him with Wayne Simmons for a little while, I think, was pretty helpful, just having that veteran presence next to him. And Wayne's also a guy who really fires people up, gets them sort of excited when they get on the ice, and uh, I think that was helpful for him. Nico's been a leader on and off the ice. He's suddenly sort of turned into like an adult <laughs> and <laughs> his defense was always really good. And now we're starting to see smart, just, smart player. Yeah. We're seeing he's, he's so quiet though. Like you said, he, he doesn't stand out as this big, like flashy player. I think if you go back to that draft, the guy that people still talk about a lot or is, is Elias Pettersson. Yeah. That's the one that everybody remembers from that draft, but Nico's slowly kind of coming along and turning into what they wanted him to be, and that's a really smart two-way player, and this team has always said, we think he can win Selkies. And in a couple of years, that contract if he does win a Selkie, that contract is going to look like quite a bargain. Who is the best personality in that room? Who, who you go to them, you know you're going to get something most of the time. Probably Corey Schneider or Mackenzie Blackwood. Sammy Vatnin yeah. has such a personality, and I've known Sammy for a while covering the Ducks, but the minute you turn the microphone on, especially turn the TV cameras on, he just sort of clams up. That awesome right. Finnish sense of humor <laughs> dries up, right? But I've experienced firsthand almost all of them have the great deadpan going. Oh, yeah, and he's so he he's such like a jokester in the room, and... When you talk to him without, when you're not recording, he'll talk to you about anything. I mean, yeah. he'll 
he likes he loves golf. He's got a swing simulator in his house in New Jersey. Wow. He wants to join the European tour when he's done playing hockey. <laughs> he'll tell you every he'll tell you all about the time he got Tammy Solani's car towed. <laughs> but then the minute you turn the recorder on, he's like, "We played good. We play hard. Yep, good goal. I just shot the puck. Like it just it's the difference is amazing." And but the goalies are really interesting. Mackenzie Blackwood is. He's an odd dude in, in a good way. That's what you're looking for. He sort of like holds court. That's like his social hour in the locker room. And I've never had somebody like ask me so many random questions. Like, <laughs> this is my job to ask you questions, Mackenzie. But I'll be standing there and he'll start talking to me about, I don't know, the other day it was like his phone plan. <laughs> <laughs> Goalies are the odd ones. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Just on Blackwood. I mean, I was a big supporter of Corey Schneider for a long time. Like To me, he was criminally underrated for most of his career, and it's unfortunate what's happened to him with the hip injuries and everything here. But now it looks like Blackwood is kind of emerging there. Like, Is he looking to you like a stable, sturdy number one that this team is going to be moving forward with pretty confidently now? I mean, yes, I think they're confident in him being the number one, but the question is still workload because they haven't figured out what they're going to do behind him yet. Right. He's not going to be able to make 60, 70 starts. Like the guy who used to, to play yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, Martin yeah. Brodeur yeah. is in the East. Look, Marty's up in the front office. He's not walking through those locker room doors yeah. anytime soon. The game has changed. There's too much speed and too much skill. And Blackwood's broken down a few times this year. He's had some he, – he's streaky. He'll he'll go for a while, have some really good performances, and then just have a really bad one. And he's told me a few times his legs feel different this year because he's playing more than he's ever played before. He's got to adjust to the workload. And they might be overworked. They they overplayed Keith Kincaid last year out of necessity because Corey was struggling. This year they had Corey struggling again, and then they have Louis Domingue, and he's played well recently. But who's the long term answer behind Mackenzie Blackwood? Because he can't keep going at this pace. They, they, he is the goalie of the future for the Devils, but who's the backup of the future? You need one A and one B in, in today's NHL. You really do. Yeah, you do. Well, you're a busy, busy person covering this team. Thanks so much for coming in and joining us a little bit today. No problem. Thanks for having me. What is your Twitter handle, Abby? Abby Mastraco. All right. So check out Abby on Twitter as she covers the Devils. I think she's still going to be very busy, at least leading up to the trade deadline. Follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself, at Dixon on Sports. Check out everything we're doing on sportsnet.ca. Go to the record in USA Today Sports to find Abby's work. Come back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.